1 John chapter 4, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seat back in front of you. The red ones are King James Version, if you prefer that version. The blue ones are ESV, if uh, you would prefer a more modern version that uh, translated with a very similar uh, translation philosophy as the King James Version. 1 John chapter 4 is where you're turning. It's toward the end of the Bible, in case you don't know. I need to confess to you all that I have a problem. I have a tendency to spot perfect chances to share the gospel with others, and then I'll miss the opportunity. As an example, and it's not it's just one that comes to mind, it's not the only one by any means, but a little over a year ago I was in New Orleans uh, for work, and usually for my work I traveled on my own, so I was out there, and uh, generally I tried not to stay in New Orleans, because it is a dark city, spiritually, and it's a very dirty city, and it smells. I don't like New Orleans very well. And so, I usually would try to stay in Baton Rouge and then drive down into New Orleans. But this time, since it's the last time, and I like old architecture because I'm a nerd, I decided to go ahead and stay in New Orleans. And so I got a hotel that was close to, um, close to the store that I needed to go to in the morning. And as I was there, as I was pulling up, I was like, oh boy, I did not check where this hotel was, but it is right off of Bourbon Street. And if you don't know what Bourbon Street is, that is the main street where Mardi Gras festivities happen. That is really uh, kind of the street down the center of the, uh, the celebrations of debauch- debauchery that happens down there. And so I was staying on Bourbon Street. Uh, but since I wanted to go out and look at some of the old buildings, there's buildings that are hundreds of years old, I decided to go out and I had some paperwork to do. So I brought my backpack with me with my, with my computer in it. And I thought maybe I can find a decent coffee shop to sit down in and do my paperwork. So off I went with my backpack. It was a bit warm in the day. It's always a bit warm in New Orleans, pretty much, unless it's raining. And even then, it's sometimes a bit warm, just really humid as well. Uh, As I followed the streets and enjoyed the architecture, because, I mean, these are beautiful French architecture from hundreds of years ago, I passed by a woman who was sitting at a table advertising palm readings for $10. I thought, that's a little bit eerie, and I kept walking, because I had a deadline on my paperwork. I found a shop in a 400-year-old building, a mile or so away, got my work done, enjoyed the sights, and started the walk back to my hotel. It was warm, so my back was getting all sweaty, and I was getting really hungry, and suddenly I realized I was coming back to the intersection where that woman had been sitting. And there she was. I thought... I should share the gospel with her. But then immediately was made acutely aware of my hunger and my sweaty back that I wanted, and I wanted to go home, go back to the hotel, take a shower, and get some food. This would take too long. I can't do that. I need need to take care of my own needs. I then thought of a question to awkwardly start the conversation. So, uh, how long have you been doing this for? And then try to figure it out from there. Right cool, cool, cool. You know, like, it's awkward to start the conversation. But then I was acutely aware of how inadequate I was to continue that conversation, to be able to understand and to be able to address some of the things. I haven't studied palm reading. Who am I to think that I could possibly convince this woman to become a Christian? And as I walked up to that intersection, my stomach was twisting into knots as I contemplated speaking with her. 
And I wish that I could tell you an incredible story of how God used my faithful proclamation of the gospel to save that woman. I wish that I could tell you that she repented on the spot and that we went together to her home to grab all of her witchcraft materials and burn it together. I wish that I could tell you she was delivered from the demons that she put herself in bondage to, who promised her power and delivered on that promise, but then made her a slave. I wish I could even just tell you that I was faithful to proclaim the message, the one message that this woman needs more than any other, even if she rejected it. But I can't tell you that because I walked on by. My fear of looking like a fool, my fear of interacting with strangers, my fear of discomfort, my fear outweighed my love for her. And for all I know, she's still lost. She's still in spiritual chains. She's still a rebel to her creator, and she's still a slave to sin. Or she could be dead, facing the wrath of a holy, perfect, pure God against her rebellious, sin-filled life and her rejection of him. For all I know, I may have been the only Christian to cross her path. So, excuse me, over the past few weeks, we have worked through a few steps to prepare our hearts to be able to share the gospel. Not just to share the gospel, but to be able to share the gospel. Because we have to prepare. We have to be willing to prepare. And uh, a lot of these were first outlined in this excellent little book called Before You Share Your Faith. All of these, uh, I'm kind of following his outline to some extent, but all of this is biblical And this was one of the most helpful things for me. And so I'm trying to distill this out to you as well. So the first point is grasp grasp the gospel. You have to understand and love the gospel. And we talked about that three weeks ago. But you have to understand and love the gospel first. And then let that start to overflow in you. And if you don't love and understand the gospel, well, put in the work to study. Put in the prayer that the Lord would open your eyes to be able to see how good the gospel is and how desperately you are in need of it every day and how desperately all of your family members and friends and co-workers and everyone needs this gospel, this good news. The next, after that, once that's starting to overflow, it's important to understand the context, to check the context that we are interacting with so that we can engage in a way that is as winsome as we possibly can be. We're not called to be jerks in situations. We're called to love the lost, which is the next step. We love the lost. We seek to understand the context because we love the lost. We want to talk to them in a way that they're going to understand and hear us. If we say, that's just the way I am, and you got to get used to it. Is that loving the lost? Is that thinking of them as more highly than ourselves? Or is loving the lost being humble enough to say, I'm not perfect in the way I do things. I'm not perfect in the way I say things. And where I recognize where I am imperfect, I will work because I love the lost. I will work to learn how to communicate better. I will work to learn how to pray for them more consistently. I will do these things. I will trust Christ more. And I will seek to get out of my own way so that Christ can shine through. And this morning is number four. Face your fear. 
Face your fear. Let's read 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 together. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is a word from the Lord. There you go, Bill. Thank you, brother. We'll keep working on it. Last week, we talked about loving the lost and what that means. We talked about how if we really loved people, our fears would be driven out. At the very least, we would be willing to face our fears if we really loved people. Because perfect love casts out fear. How the best way to evangelize, we talked about how the best way is to love God and love people and just let that overflow. This week we're talking about how to actually look fear in the face and to do the work to confront and eventually kill our fears. In this book, the author Matt Smethers says, if we wait to share our faith until our fears have completely evaporated, we will never share it. There's always going to be fears, but the, the, what you're called to do is not simply to just not have any fear and be, uh, just be fearless and everything. You're called to face your fears, to confront your fears, and to shove them out of the way with love. To evict them. And so as I shared in my story, I often have the sinful habit of reasoning myself out of gospel conversations. I'm pretty good at logicking myself out of it. Of giving myself an out. Of passing up good enough opportunities, looking for the perfect one. The one that fits and suits all of my ideals that I still probably wouldn't take if I am not preparing to take it. I'm sure none of you can relate with me, right? None of you reason yourself out of gospel conversations as you feel this, the, 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 like, hey, I know they're lost. Can I share the gospel? No one feels, oh, no, no, no. You know, I don't have a lot of time right now. I need to get home to my kids. I need this. I need to do this or this. And we just ignore the opportunity, right? That's sarcasm, by the way, guys. I, I expect that other people have felt this. Am I wrong? Am I alone in this? No. All right. The simple fact, though, is that sharing our faith is never going to be perfect and it's never going to be convenient. We must be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of others. There will always be something in every situation that doesn't hit our ideals and then the devil will use those unideal things to whisper in our ear, not yet. You could find a better situation tomorrow. And last week we talked about the two ditches in evangelism where if you stray off into the one path, you go in just trying to convert people, trying to get people to say that magic sinner's prayer so that you can count more lives won into the kingdom. Or trying to get through the structured four laws or whatever gospel presentation that you know. And you're just trying to hit all those points so that you can say you did it. And all the while you're forgetting to love that person. And then on the other side, you have the ditch of neglecting time. You think that just living your life as a Christian, not really talking, but I'm going to be an example to them. I'm going to be a good friend 
And you're always focused on the love and never focused on actually proclaiming the gospel. The very thing that God says in Romans 1.16 is the power to save people. It's not your actions that save people. It's the gospel. And it must be spoken. It must be read at the very least. Words are required to communicate the gospel. And so, we neglect time and the simple fact that you and that person are careening off a cliff towards your death, never knowing which rock is going to be the one that you land on and die on. Our rock or their rock could be one that's coming at the end of today. And death will take us. And when we recognize that, that that is true, and our main concern is not the state of their souls, or proclaiming the one thing that God said in his word is the power to save people. We're neglecting time. That's the other ditch. Far too often, it is our fear that keeps us from fulfilling our duty as Jesus' followers, as heralds of good news, proclaimers of good news. That is what we have been called to do, is to be heralds, the ones who ride into those cities with blasting the trumpet. News! News! We have news from the other city. My fear has caused me to neglect my duty as a herald more times than I can count. And this is far, talking about New Orleans, the only, far from the only time that I have missed good chances to be faithful in gospel proclamation because of my fear. And I still do this more than I care to admit. And while I can come up with all sorts of reasons that make sense to me as to why sharing the gospel doesn't make sense in the moment, None of them excuse me from doing what Jesus has told me to do. Reasons are not excuses. If I was deathly afraid of rodents and we started to get mice in the house, would I be excused in ignoring the things that made me afraid? Is there an excuse for that? Of just letting the mice take over the house because I'm afraid of them? Am I, is it like, no, that actually makes sense. You know, you should, you're, you're fine in that. Because my fear of rodents is certainly a reason why I would not want to be messing around with them, right? I mean, they're dirty. They're stinky. They can bite. They carry diseases. And what if they use their little claws to climb up my pant leg? I can give you all sorts of reasons. But are any of these reasons valid excuses for me not to address the problem? No. It's only going to get worse. If I loved my home and my family, then I would need to face my fear and figure out how to beat these rodents. And should I only be preparing to defeat these rodents when I see their heads, when I actually see evidence of it? Like they pop their head out of the hole and I'm like, oh, time to research. And then they pop it back in and I'm like, okay, I'm done. That's foolishness. I need to be researching and preparing before the mouse pops out so that when it does pop out, I'm ready to kill it, right? If I had a problem like mice, I wouldn't be waiting to watch the problem. I would be learning techniques. I would be spending my money on good resources to kill this thing, right? 
I would even ask someone who's better than me at killing mice for help and advice, right? All of this makes sense. I might even hire someone to help me do this because they're better at it than I am and they can teach me how to make sure it doesn't happen again. I might even do a practice walkthrough, you know? Like, okay, when it pops out, I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk myself through it and I'm actually going to do the action so that my brain and my body are on the same page, right? We do these things. Then, when the mouse pops out, I'm confident. It's like, I can do this, you know? Like, I can do this. I've got, I've, I've done the preparations. I've got the mouse traps out. I'm ready to catch this thing. Wouldn't you do something like that? Right? To some extent, maybe not to that extent, maybe not that dramatic. But are not the souls of our family and friends worth more than our homes? How should we expect to defend their souls and face the problem of fear without putting in the preparation and work to kill our fear, to be ready for when that fear pops up so that we can pop it and say, get out of here, I'm pushing forward. Why should we expect to be able to do that without working, preparation, putting in the effort? Why should we expect to be able to clearly share the gospel when we don't even say it to ourselves? When we don't say it to practice it with our spouse or with our, with our children, we don't practice these things. You know, the one thing that made me more confident in sharing the gospel than anything else was sitting down with someone who viewed himself as an evangelist and he had me sit down and proclaim the gospel to him and then he proclaims it back to me and I proclaim it back to him and we just practice it back and forth. And finally, having the structure and the understanding of the gospel message and knowing that I can say it because I've done it without looking at the book, without looking at pages, I know that I can do it because I've practiced it. We must prepare if we're going to be faithful evangelists. And that means Bible reading so that you know the scriptures. That means being in prayer with the, in communication with the Lord. Of being in spiritual connection. That means working together with the people of the church so that they can encourage you, so that they can point out where you're just a little bit off in the gospel presentation. And maybe role-playing at times, like, Hey, I have this coworker, and he's a really staunch atheist. And it's like, okay, I can pretend to be a really staunch atheist. Let's go. And so you come in up to me, and you say, hey, uh, do you mind if I tell you what I believe? And I, I, I respond. And it's like, ah, you know I don't believe that stuff, but whatever. If it matters to you, go ahead. And then you start. And it's like, nah, like, I could do that with you. We could do that to practice and get ready. How do we kill fear? Or how do we prepare to overcome fear? We face it. You look your fear in the eyes and you study it when it pops up. Where is this coming from? Why all of a sudden am I being shut down? When that fear pops up, think about what your fear is. And then once you get out of that situation, work through what you could do better. You know what I did when I failed to evangelize to that woman? I studied paganism. I studied the occult so that I would be prepared. And then when we went around here, knocking on doors, sharing information with people, and just seeing, looking for gospel conversations, we knocked on the door of someone who is a practicing pagan. And when I, we said we were from the church, he's like, ah, you, you won't like what I believe. I'm like, come on, give it to me, man. I'm not scared of it. Give it to me. I'm ready. 
And he did. And I was able to at least proclaim a little bit of the gospel truth to him because I saw where I had gone in in fear. And then I sought to make that no longer exist. I saw where I fell short. And through the help of the Lord, I sought to kill it, to kill that fear. You beat fear through preparing to beat it. When you have the chance to share the gospel with someone and you miss it, talk about it with your spouse. Say, I saw an opportunity, to, uh, an opportunity there, but I missed it. And say the things that you wish you would have said. Actually say them out loud. Work through it with your spouse or with a brother or sister in Christ, someone else who can be there with you. Say it. Actually do it. Because when you say it, it's going to be fresh in your mind. I talked to you guys about how I interacted with Catholics. And how it was through ranting to my wife all the things that I wish I could say to the Catholics about why I'm so upset about Roman Catholicism because of the things that they do. When it came time, my heart was prepared. My mouth was prepared. And when it came time, I sat down and I said, you want to hear what I believe and why? He's like, yeah, we've been talking for a while. I want to hear it. And I told him. I was able to tell him because I had worked through them. I wasn't stumbling over my words because I had done the work to prepare for it. So what do we do to beat fear? We train to kill it. We train by reciting the gospel to ourselves daily. And it's a great practice for us to remember what God has done. The gospel is for Christians. It's not just for lost people. And you prepare your mind and your tongue to be quick with the gospel. We also trained by studying the scriptures and seeking out answers to our own questions and our doubts so that we are able to joyfully affirm and be supported by the truth of the gospel. We study the scriptures so that we can be prepared. And we got to remember this too. We prepare by recognizing we don't go alone into the battle. Jesus calls himself our shepherd the one who guides the sheep. He sent to us the helper, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us and gives us our new hearts so that we can choose the good and reject evil. We do not go alone. In John 1, it talks about how Jesus is the light of the world. In John 1, 5, it says that the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot understand it. The light drives out the darkness. The darkness, no matter how dark it is, cannot overcome the light. So let's be quick to share the light. Secondly, we develop brothers and sisters. We're not alone because we have brothers and sisters who will join us in our evangelism. Maybe that means physically, but maybe that means by praying for each other and holding each other accountable. When was the last time that you asked someone who you know, knew was a Christian, how's evangelism going? Have you had any uh, praises or difficulties in sharing the gospel with people that you care about? Have you asked that of each other? I don't hear that very often. From, uh, from I've been all over the country and I don't hear it often. It's a problem. If we're called to that, we should be building one another up into that. 
We also train by building confidence in the truth that it is God who saves people through the power of the gospel and not through our wise words and apologetics. We don't save people. My argument does not save people. But if I faithfully proclaim the gospel, it is as if Jesus is speaking through me and calling for a sheep to follow him. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We're not ashamed. How often do we act ashamed of Jesus in the gospel? How often do we hide rather than shining that light brightly? And how often do we actually believe that it is the proclamation of the gospel that saves people? It is the work of the gospel, it's the hearing of the gospel by which God works salvation in people. Because if we actually believe that, we would, we would speak, right? If we actually believe that it is through the power of the spoken word that God powers through the spoken gospel to save people, if we actually believe that, wouldn't we want to proclaim it to everyone? Like, I don't know who he's going to save, but I'm going to shout it out there for anyone to hear so that they can respond. And here's a great piece of encouragement, though. Evangelism almost always goes way better than you expect it to. If you approach it humbly, if you approach it prayerfully, evangelism almost always goes better than you should expect it to. Most people are not going to cuss you out. Most people are not going to beat you for sharing your faith. Some people might be mildly rude and tell you to go away. But if that's the worst we're facing, come on! Right? We face worse than that from our siblings. Don't be brought into submission by your fear. Face it. Kill it. Make it submit to the gospel. Most of the time, our fear is of the consequences of losing the approval of someone we care about. But often we fear losing the approval of a complete stranger. And that shouldn't matter to us. But hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? Because if I was still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Who are you trying to please? Is it man or God? Because being a Christian is a very bad way to please man. Take it seriously. Thomas Chalmers, a pastor from the 1800s and a mathematician, who would have thought those go together, but uh, most of our history is actually very intelligent pastors. He has a sermon titled, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection where he argues that it's not enough to simply remove an old affection or an old love. Something must take its place or there's going to be a void because we were created with a desire to love things. It's our sin that twists that love and that enjoyment into debauchery. And Chalmers argues that the best option we have for driving out sinful loves is to replace it with a new and better love. It's not by saying, you got to quit drinking, you got to quit smoking. It's saying, you need to know this wonderful person, Jesus. He is fantastic. 
all of the pleasures of my life that I thought were great pleasures before. They're nothing. And in fact, they're actually greater because of him. I can love and enjoy my family more because of Jesus. I can enjoy food more because of Jesus. I can enjoy weddings more because it's not just about them being married. It's also about the marriage supper of the land that all Christians will one day partake in. I can celebrate their love while also celebrating something more. I can celebrate and enjoy things and take pleasure in things more than anyone else in this world because I have Christ. So you need that new love to uproot your old loves. So do you love comfort? Do you love social standing? Do you love not having to speak on difficult topics with strangers or friends or family? Do you love not having strife because you're willing to not speak on the good news of the kingdom of God? Do you find it impossible because of your fear to say that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us to win for himself a people who can stand unashamed before the throne of God. And we must simply believe him. And when he says he is the son of God, we must believe that and turn from our rebellion against him to be part of that people. That's it. We can be saved from our sin and made into new creations by that. That is how. That is the gospel. Jesus crucified for our sins. And if you find yourself backing off when you should be stepping up, seek to love the Lord and seek his approval. Start there, then ruthlessly evict and exterminate your fear. Evict and exterminate all portions of your life where you love other things more. That's shown by you choosing other things over what God has said to do. Root those things out and kill them. They're pests to be killed. Not something to ignore. When you love Jesus more than your family, you will love your family better and more boldly. When you love Jesus more than you love your comfort, you will sacrifice your comfort to bring glory to his name and find a supernatural comfort in him that you never could have imagined. When you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments and your fear will be cast out. Now I can give you all the practical application in the world, but if you don't know and love the gospel, you won't evangelize. You don't start with number one. You're not going to evangelize. You might go and proclaim something, but it's probably not the gospel if you don't actually know what the gospel is. And if you aren't willing to go out of your way to understand people and love them exactly as they are, loving them for who they are and for who they could be as well, but First, where they are. Understand how they got to where they got to. Love them and want what's best for them. And if you don't do that, if you're not willing to go out of your way for that, you won't evangelize. If you don't start with these steps, one through three, to grasp the gospel, to check your context, to love the lost, you will never get to step four where you actually start to root out your fear. You, this, is, this is progressive that we're working through. Let alone... The final step, next week, start to speak. You're never going to get to the point where you speak and proclaim the gospel purely and clearly if you don't follow the rest of this. So to the church members and other Christians of this room, I can't love Jesus and the lost for you. 
I can't pray for all your loved ones and friends for you. I can't evangelize for you. I can't face your fear for you. I can help you in all of these things. And please come ask me for help if you need it. But it's time to kneel down and pray. It's time to swallow your pride and ask for help. It's time to get up and do something. Jesus is glorious. Jesus has saved you. Jesus deserves to be worshipped in all of the earth and throughout all of our community. Make the motto of your life, however long or short your life remains to be. Make the motto, all glory be to Christ. If you need help with that, then tell me. I'm here to help you. And I want to help you in all things that uh, have to do with being a Christian. To build you up where you're weak. But you have to talk to me so that I can know best how to do that. I need to know. You guys need to, I, I, I'm not a mind reader. And if you're not a Christian this morning, could I ask you why? This sermon is for Christians, and most of my sermons tend to be that way because when we're gathering, we're back gathering as Christians and as the body of Christ. But can I ask you what's holding you back from believing Jesus when he says that he is the Son of God? I mean really believing him. Things changing in your life. That he is the Son of God and that he has died for your sins and all of the changes that are going to come along with that. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to count the cost. Just because you pray a prayer and get baptized, it doesn't make you a Christian. Being a Christian is following Jesus. Loving him, serving him gladly. Is there something that you take pleasure in that you're afraid Jesus will tell you to drop? Jesus is better and sweeter than that thing. Are you afraid to lose social standing or the tribe you've become a part of? Jesus invites you into a family that spans all of the earth and all of time. Do you have something else holding you back that you want to speak about? Let's talk. I want to talk to you. Whoever is here, whether you're a member of the church, whether you're a visitor, or whether you are here and you're not a Christian, you're realizing it. I want to show you how good it is to be a follower of Jesus. I want to close with a quote from this book. Do you know what is the most repeated command in the whole Bible? Fear not. Clearly, God knew we would need constant reminding. Human history is the long story of God's faithfulness to scaredy cats like you and me. He has never failed one of his own, and he won't end his streak with you. Hasn't he been faithful to you over the course of 10,000 yesterdays? Hasn't he been faithful? You can trust him to carry you in that gospel opportunity tomorrow with your one, with that family member or that uh, co-worker or friend that you are calling on. You can trust him to carry you into that conversation. So brothers and sisters, who's your one? Who is the one that you are willing to work to kill the fear, to love them, to share the gospel with them, to serve them and honor them as more important than yourselves? Who's your one?
Now, uh, as we were about to do our time of confession and our assurance of pardon, during the song of response, uh, if you haven't written down the name of your one, you're welcome to come up here and write it down and put it in the basket so that you can use it in the future. Come forward and pray for your one. Pray for that person. Be willing to step out even when you're afraid because you have a greater love that's driving you. So this week, keep praying daily for a greater love for the gospel a greater understanding of the gospel. Keep praying daily for your one, that one person. Let them know you care about them by reaching out to them. Like Dave was so uh, good to let us know that he was doing. Like God is going to work when we keep praying for things, when we knock and ask for the Lord to work. He will work and it will be on different timelines than what we want. And it will be on different timelines for different people. But God will work. Because if even an unjust judge will finally listen to a persistent widow, how much more would the just one, the one who is just above all else? Let's be persistent widows. And then finally, this week, start a gospel conversation with your one. Figure it out. Ask some of these questions that have come up like, hey, there's this event happening in the news. What's your opinion on that? What do you think is the solution to that? And then find a way to talk about, hey, the solution is Christ. Talk about the shooting at the Super Bowl parade. Talk about any sort of current events that might come up. Because that comes up in conversation. It comes up in the middle school, among the middle school children that I'm with. Start gospel conversations and then face your fear. As that fear pops up, yank it out, drag it into the sunlight so that it'll die. Shrivel up and die. And then as it pops up and if it stops you from sharing the gospel, write down what it was that happened. And then pray about that. Seek out the ways to be able to respond to that better. Love the lost so much that you're willing to kill your fear for them. Let's pray.